Hi, I'm Mona Chattel, and you're listening to On the Pulse, a podcast from the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing. On this podcast, we take a deep dive into the experiences of frontline providers and researchers. We explore their insights and invaluable stories of how healthcare works in today's world. Today's show will focus on the mental health toll of the COVID-19 pandemic. Joining us is Dr. Tamar Rodney, Assistant Professor at the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing. Dr. Rodney is a board-certified psychiatric nurse practitioner who has worked in trauma and psychiatry. Her PhD research looked at biomarkers for PTSD in veterans with traumatic brain injury. Her career has had a focus on PTSD and the way that healthcare professionals approach diagnosis and treatment planning for individuals with mental health needs. Thank you for being here, Tamara. Thank you. And you're also here because we have a very special announcement to make at the end of the show, right? That is correct. Great. So for our listeners, make sure you stay tuned all the way until the end so that you don't miss that special announcement. All right, but first, let's discuss mental health and COVID-19. Tamara, overall, what has been the status of mental health in America during the COVID-19 pandemic? That's a great question, Mona, and I think it's um, the answer to that is twofold. On one hand, we're having more awareness because we're having more discussions about how mental health or mental health is affected, and it presents an opportunity for us to be more proactive and be sensitive to it, towards each other. But on the other, one, other hand, there is a recognition that this experience, COVID-19, has been very difficult because we are going through something which we've never faced before. So it's an unknown experience. And with that experience, I would say things like fear, anxiety, worry, being isolated from each other, it actually increases the risk of worse mental health outcomes. So um, we are falling back into the narrative of where fit our physical health takes priority of our mental health care needs. But I don't want it to be viewed just as negative while yes, we'll acknowledge that things have worsened, mm-hmm. um, but it also presents us an opportunity for us to do better. How as public health professionals, can we better weigh the risks of mental health versus COVID-19? Again, um, another great question, and I want us to think about it as from a baseline perspective, mm-hmm. that when something happens to us, illness, it happens to the body, and that includes everything from head to toe. So um, there is a fear of getting sick, but we often focus on just what the physical outcome needs to be. And the way as mental health professionals and healthcare professionals in general can look at it is to think about that individual as a whole human being. Um, with specific specific to COVID-19, some persons have been physically affected, everyone has been emotionally affected. And if we remember that as we treat individuals, I think we have much better outcomes in terms of lowering the risk and, and really for true healing to take place, either from symptoms of COVID-19 or the emotional scars, there needs to be a focus on the person as an individual, not just a body part. That's, that's such a great point. Um, uh, what about kids? Sort of, um, you know, what has the impact been on kids in particular? 
And for kids, this one really hits close to home because I do have kids myself. And I want us to, when we think about kids, to think about the ages and how that might affect them differently. And so for younger kids, I think just the idea of COVID-19, it's very abstract and they're not able to understand the full complement of what is happening. Mm -hmm. um, so you will find kids who see this as an opportunity to stay home. They get to play more, especially if they have siblings. Um, they're introduced to something new, online learning. Learning, uh, engage in electronics, which most likely have been previously reduced. Um, but also, it's also hard on them. It's a prime time for development, transitioning from pre-K to kindergarten or to high school. And in the year plus that they have been home, they've been missing out on multiple milestones, which are important to them, mm -hmm. and time with their friends. So we've seen missed graduations, missed proms, and social interactions, which they thrive on. So I want us um, as individual family members to be mindful when we see changes in kids' behavior that just from the mere fact of the change in their routine, this might be a contributing factor in them changing their behavior in a negative sense. Um, but on a very hopeful note, kids are very resilient and they're yeah. very adaptable. Um, so we have seen them adapt to things like drive-by graduation, um, drive-by birthdays, Zoom birthdays, and engaging more in social me media to maintain connections. So kids can recover. Kids are resilient, as you said. Are there, are there, are there signs that we should be looking for um, in family members, you know, kids or adults, uh, yes. that they might be, you know, in crisis? So that's that's another brilliant thing that um, COVID-19 has allowed us to, to, to be able to observe more is what is going wrong because we're able to be in each other's physical space. So mm. both for kids and adults. So one of the good parts about being in isolation, um, for want of a better word, is that we're for the first time being able to spend day to day continuing weeks, months, more than a year in each other's space and observing the way each other behave, which we previously hadn't had a chance to. That's such a great point. Yeah. And so in, in the good that comes with that is a chance to see when things are going wrong and what we should be mindful of. So unfortunately, um, things like mental health um, issues, anxiety, depression, it doesn't come with a label. You know, you have a cut, you have a band-aid that goes on it, you can see it with emotional problems you don't and so how this presents itself is what we will be looking for so some of the key things that I have seen as a practitioner are simple things like changes in sleep patterns someone is not sleeping enough they're sleeping too much or they're waking up frequently at night the way an individual eats are they eating more for emotional eating or not eating enough um, they seem to worry about things that they wouldn't normally worry about or further isolating themselves from individual. But one of the, the pieces that I think is a telltale sign is when you see individuals reacting to others, which is not their usual behavior. And I know this is a little bit of a gray area, but it's usually termed things aren't just the way they used to be, or they're not acting like themselves. Again, I want to use this as an opportunity for us to individually as family members, reach out to each other. You know, is everything all right? You know, can I do anything? Um, and you might not be able to solve all the issues that they're going through, but just being present for them and telling them, reassuring them that they're there, starts that conversation for that individual to get the help they need. So really there is um, 
like you said, we, we are spending so much time with our family members. We are able to see some change in behavior. And, and some of these reactions, fear, anxiety um, about COVID-19 uh, is, is normal. But as you say, when it impacts or makes some changes like in sleep and eating and um, other activities, then that's when we need to you know, maybe be a little more, more concerned. Um, that's correct. And I, I would extend that actually to say that all emotions are natural and it's normal. It's normal for us to feel sad. It's normal for us to be fearful and give yourself permission to feel that way and also give yourself enough time to process these emotions. Um, what I will say is that don't put a time limit on how long you should experience this because we all process things differently. The only time I would say it's time to act is when those behaviors are preventing you from doing your day-to-day -day activities. You're not sleeping well enough. You're missing work. You're missing school. You're, you're not able to socially engage with other individuals. Then you know that it's, it's no longer a health reaction. And that is a time that we should be saying, maybe we should be seeking help to address this reaction to those emotions. So in that, that help, you're speaking about professional help at this point. Um, would the person reach out to their psychiatric nurse practitioner, uh, their primary care? What, what, uh, what advice do you have on, on that? That's, that's great. And I want us to say, you know, seeking help is actually a very empowering thing. It's a very strong thing to make that decision to say, I need help. Um, reaching out to anyone. So let's not put it in a box first. You know, anyone who you think would be a responsible individual to assist you, yes. And sometimes our first point of contact is our primary care provider. And if we're lucky enough to be engaged previously with a psych mental health nurse practitioner or psychiatrist, absolutely. But until we can specifically identify what is the specific help we need, start reaching out, start reaching out to that trusted adult a trusted friend and if needed your primary care provider is a good place to start and if absolutely necessary I would welcome anyone in my clinical practice to see if I can provide some help for them. Yeah, thanks Tamar. Well, one thing we haven't talked about is and this is so really current and and you know I hear it from my friends family and colleagues you know we are starting to get back to normal uh, we are um, you know the workplaces are, are opening up and social interactions are becoming uh, more common again. Uh, but this could result in, you know, increasing feelings of anxiety about this, this, you know, what used to be normal, but now because we have, we've lived during this COVID-19 for so long, we, you know, we may feel a little extra anxious that, you know, we used to be perhaps really extroverted and, and enjoy spending time with lots of people, but now that makes us nervous. So yeah. what, what, do you, what do you think about that? I, I think this is a great question that hits home for many individuals, including mm -hmm. obviously myself, about how do we transition back to the things, the way things were. So right. we hear terms like getting back to normal, creating a new normal. And so I'll take it from the perspective that we are social beings. We strive very well to be together. We want that morning coffee meeting, the water cooler catch up moment. And so ideally all of us are actually in some secret way looking 
at how we can transition back to the workplace. But I want to cautious that that word transition is very important. Mm. It just means that it won't be going back to exactly where we were. And so there will be an expectation of a readjustment period dependent on the level of isolation someone is coming from and that we individually experience, that can be easier or harder. And so we want to be mindful of that. And in that process, it could also be anxiety provoking because we have been apart for so long. We might not know or feel comfortable getting really close to someone else, breathing their air. Um, and so we're gonna transition at different pace. So I would say, you know, be respectful of each other's space be respectful of how we engage in terms of proximity and be hopeful in the process that we used to enjoy each other's company. There's no reason to think that that won't happen again. And, you know, we will let down our guard a little bit. And with each change in the guidelines that comes from um, places like the CDC, there will be continuous improvement. But while we go through that process of trans transition and readjustment to be cautious and to be kind to what each other is expect or is comfortable with. Thank you, Tamar. Maybe one final question. Mm -hmm. If there was one lesson uh, that we can learn or have learned from COVID-19 related to mental health, what, what would that be? I think that one of the number one things I've learned is how important taking care of our mental health is in terms of getting through difficult times, in terms of healing um, physically and emotionally. Um, I think there's also been more awareness of it to say it is okay to say that you're going to take care of your mental health. So I think the best thing that has happened is actually a reduction of the stigma surrounding, surrounding mm -hmm. mental health. Mm -hmm. And for that, I'm very, very grateful to say mental health is not something to be scared of or, you know, it's a secret in a corner. It's something to be discussed and actively and proactively take care of making yourself well, making yourself be well, not just physically, but emotionally. Oh, thank you, Tamar. We're so glad that you're able to help us think about mental health, mental health in, in more depth, perhaps, than we have before. You've offered some great suggestions that we can all consider. So before we close, we have a special announcement to make, and that is that you, Dr. Rodney, are going to be the new host of this podcast. Thank you, Mon. I'm so excited to be taking on this challenge as well. I think this is a wonderful platform and for nurses and for us to share our expert opinions, to contribute and get connected and stay connected to issues that are current to us. Indeed. I'm very excited about this opportunity. Well, that's a wrap for this episode, Tamar. Would you like to do our closing? Absolutely, sure. So thank you all for listening to this episode of On The Pulse. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with someone you know and subscribe through Apple, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. Be sure to also check out our On The Pulse blog and Facebook Live series. You can learn more about the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing at nursing.jhu.edu. Thanks again for listening.